0: In this episode of 2,000 Books, author Barry Moulds talks about five most common reasons why entrepreneurs get stuck and how to fix them. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2,000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs every single week. And I'm your host and former computer engineer turned entrepreneur, Manny Vaya. So these days, people often ask me, Manny, you've read over a 1,000 books now. What is it? What is that one most important success lesson you've learned from all these books? What separates the successful from everyone else? So I decided to create a free video course to show you exactly what that number one ingredient of success is and how anyone can develop it. You can get it for free at 2000books.com slash success. That's 2000books.com slash success. Barry Moles helps entrepreneurs and businesses get unstuck. With decades of entrepreneurial experience in his own business ventures, as well as consulting countless other entrepreneurs, Barry has discovered the formula to get stuck business owners unstuck and marching forward. Barry is also a prolific author who has written five books, including the one we're talking about today How to Get Unstuck 25 Ways to Get Your Business Growing Again. Barry, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Hey, so, your book, How to Get Unstuck. You are you are the small business getting unstuck expert. So tell us the story. Tell, take us behind the scenes. What was your business story and what led you to writing this book?
1: Well, I, they, they call me the unstuck guy. You know, I've had three businesses over the last 25 years. The first business went out of business. The second business, I was kicked out by my two partners, about two before my first child was born. And Then, of course, I had to start a third business two weeks after my first child was born. And fortunately, during 1999, during the last internet bubble, I was able to sell the business. I was able to pay back the bank uh, the $1.3 million I owed them. And my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. (laughs) And so after I couldn't start any more businesses at the direction of my wife, I started uh, speaking and uh, writing and consulting uh, with entrepreneurs. And I noticed that... Uh, a common theme was that with all their great intentions, a lot of small business owners were stuck. They had a certain vision for their business. They achieved a certain amount of success, but they were just not able to move forward. So I wanted to help them take action.
0: Boom. That's perfect. Um, and, of course, I mean, your wife said you shouldn't start another business, but here you are running another business, a different well, kind of but, business, but still a business. Right,
1: right. But but not with uh, 100 employees or… Uh, $2 dollars with a bank debt so i guess that's a good thing
0: <laughs> okay okay well let's get into the book uh, i'm excited to jump into it cuz uh, a lot of those topics resonated with me and i know they resonate with a lot of our audience as well and the first of which uh, is the idea that a lot of us treat our business like it is a job and right. uh, th- let's talk let's get into this cuz uh, sometimes we even forget to pay ourselves in this process sometimes we are um, but we forget that this is a business we're building for the long haul.
1: Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of issues. First of all, you know, entrepreneurs get started and the organization chart is really just themselves. You know, it's a a piece of paper. And eventually they hire various people to help them out in their business. But they don't actually delegate a lot of the key tasks to them. They don't get leverage in their business because they do all the important things or make all the important decisions themselves so in the end it just becomes a job because the business is just about them i always say that you don't have a real business unless you can go on vacation and still make money if other people are working for you making money for you and your business if you don't have that then really all you do is just have a job for yourself
0: yeah yeah it is a it becomes a high-paid glorifying job sometimes for low. The- played glorified job sometimes for a lot of people. And uh, I guess uh, in a lot of ways, without systems, without those processes, without delegation, there is no real business. It ends up just being a one-man show.
1: Well, the, you know, listen, you've created jobs for other people, which I think is a great thing, but you really haven't claimed any leverage for yourself. And long-term, that's problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I see consistently is that uh, – People operate from this position of fear, and you pointed that out in the book as well. And when you have that, you you don't make long term investments. You're not thinking long enough, and because you're thinking, "Oh, what if the business doesn't survive?" and and that keeps you stuck in that place forever.
1: Well, I, you know, listen. I, I think that there's a common thing in our in our society that you shouldn't be afraid, right? And and, and I think that's nonsense because. You know, it's scary out there being a small business owner. Let's, let's face it, right? Mm-hmm. Things change and things happen every day. You're risking a lot. And what I always say is that go ahead and be afraid. It's okay. Um, but be afraid and go ahead and really do it anyways. Um, and, you know, I, I love the thing from Robert Louis Stevenson, which always says the only way out is through. Be afraid and go ahead. You know, I'm a, I've been a karate martial artist for about 15 years. And every single time I step on the floor to fight someone, I am afraid. But I go and I face my fears and I do it anyways. And I think that's really the important part because only through action can you really learn anything. And then once you learn something, you can take another action. It gives you another chance of success.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember distinctly one time I was in this uh, meeting and someone said, well, in order to be courageous, you have to be fearless or she meant was that courageous means fearless. And I said, no, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is we're taking action in face of fear. We're taking action right. with fear in its place. So that is unfortunately, and I don't know why <laughs> society is believing or society continues to believe that courage somehow is fearlessness. It's not that. It is action in face of fear and it's so such a key distinction that we all need to develop in our life in our businesses
1: you know it's interesting because dr robert gilbert said that it's okay it's okay to have butterflies in your stomach right we just have to teach them the flying formation and i really (laughs) like that whole idea i mean i think this idea of being fearless uh, again is ridiculous because um if you i don't know people who aren't you know aren't afraid right i mean courage isn't the absence of fear. To me, courage is being afraid and going and doing it anyways. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is the quality we need to cultivate as entrepreneurs in order to get unstuck. Um, Another really important idea that I loved and I have been guilty of it and so have been my entrepreneurial friends, which is the idea that we let today's emergencies dictate our planning and we let everything come in our way and the most important things, or as quadrant two, Stephen Covey would say, that we don't do those things. We do everything else but those things.
1: Yeah, I, I think what the problem is that we really have no plan. Or when we do have a plan for a day, we let it easily get hijacked, you know, first thing in the day. It's because people aren't able to focus. You know, we live in a 24-7 multitasking society. I believe that we're raising a generation Of attention deficit disorder individuals and I really believe that you have to focus on being productive not just busy you know being busy is doing stuff being productive is getting the stuff done you need to in order to move your business forward so my suggestion always is you know the night before decide the two things that you got to get done the next day in order for the day to be productive And do those things first. Don't let anything else interfere. Don't log on to Facebook or social media or your email, your voicemail. Get up in the morning and do those things first and get those things done and then go on the rest of your day. Because if you get those two things done, your day will be productive, not just busy.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that's, That's something that we find ourselves. Like when you do that, it feels great. But at the same time, Somehow we find that it's easier to just hop on your email or hop on social media and check the stats and do all these things. And before you know it, the day has just been hijacked by everyone else's agenda. And it's almost uh, it's almost like having a constraint on yourself proves that, proves that or having the constraint on yourself in terms of the time you have available will force us to do the right things first. As Drucker says, do the right things rather than... Just uh spending time on the the small menuche. Um, Listen,
1: I think it's I think it's easy to be I think it's laziness, quite honestly, because we don't want to, to face the things we really have to get done. So it's a lot easier in this business world to be reactive rather than proactive. It's a lot easier to go with the flow and do whatever else wants instead of what you want. But if you're gonna be successful in business, you've gotta drive and do what you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's exactly that that the fact that we have to the what figuring out what needs to be done and doing that is one of the most difficult things, but at the same time, one of the most important things we can do for our business. And right. uh, and I like you know one of the things you said in the book was also like setting strict workday limits because that's something that has been really beneficial in my business. Like before that. My life was my business. My business was my life. And there was no time limits. There was no timelines to anything. And it was just like all over the place all the time until I said, no, no, no. This has to end at a certain point of the day so I can um, have this boundary in place, which forces me to be more productive. It's kind of a counterintuitive idea, but it forces my hand, forces me to be productive.
1: I don't think it's counterintuitive. Listen, everybody sleeps, right? And one of the reasons that people sleep is so they can... Clear the clear the day, clear their mind and recharge. And somewhere along the line, our society, this idea of taking a break and not working 24 seven got to be a bad thing. But we have to realize that when we recharge. We actually can be more productive the next day. You know, every couple of years uh, since my children were eight years old, now they're in their 20s. We've gone on a big trip somewhere in the world because I want to teach them about what goes on out there. And so we go on for a trip for two or three weeks. I totally get off the grid. I don't use email. I don't use voicemail. I don't use the internet, nothing like that. And what's interesting is it forces us to actually talk to each other and really go deeper into the people that we meet and have more substantive conversations. And also my mind gets to wander. And I come up with some of my greatest ideas when I'm off the grid for two or three weeks. That's the value of setting limits.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I often wonder as to why – I like why we as a society or why this culture has become obsessed with, uh, the work. And I remember my day, like my early days as a child, my dad used to work. He used to go to office eight in the morning, come back at around four or five in the evening. And then again, after dinner, he would go back to office and then come back again right. at 11 in the night. That's the way I saw my dad working through my early years, like all the way till like high school. That's the only way I saw. So that's the only image I have of how life and struggle and hard work needs to be because he was at the time a struggling attorney and it was really difficult. Things were difficult and so was working all the time. But that imprint has been with me all my life. And that's the only way I have known life should be. Well, so now now 's the time to change it exactly and I, i've i 've been learning to change it i 've been evolving myself in that thinking so interesting <laughs> um another another key idea that I want to touch on Barry, is the idea that we let ourselves get stopped because of the fear, because of the fear of rejection. And hence, we don't even try to sell. And selling is like the lifeblood of any business, of any uh, business that needs to thrive. And for some reason, we are scared that we won't be able to make the sale. And hence, we don't even try.
1: Yeah, l- l- listen, none of us like rejection, right? When I go try to sell someone or ask someone something and they say no, it, made me feel, it makes me feel bad because, unfortunately, it becomes personal What people have to realize is that selling is not personal. When someone says no to you, they're not really saying no to you. They're saying no to your product or your solution. And the only reason they're doing that is really for two reasons. The first one is they're not in enough pain. I believe that people only buy when they're in pain. Uh, We always charge more money for painkillers in this, this world rather than vitamins. And the second reason that people don't buy is because they don't have enough money to solve the pain. And if you cannot make it personal, if you can realize it's really about them, not you, then you won't take rejection so badly. When someone says no to me, I see it as a gift to say, okay, no, I'm not going to do business with you. It frees me up to go do business with somebody else because there is someone out there that has the pain and has the money and wants to buy my solution.
0: That is a great way to look at it. That's a great reframe because there are people, there are others who need this. So we cannot let ourselves be down by people who have rejected us, but instead worry about the people who need what we have to offer. And, and at the same time, there is this, uh, how do I say, kind of a virus or kind of something infectious that makes us believe that selling is beneath us, that selling somehow is not our job or somehow selling is not... like. Uh, I am too good to be selling. That's (laughs) Sometimes we have this notion, and I think that notion will take the business to your grave.
1: Yeah, I I agree. You know, those people that think they're too good to sell, they're not going to have a very good business, right? I think it's gotten that kind of reputation, first of all, because people are afraid. People are afraid to sell, so they say, well, that's not for me. That's really for somebody else. And also, people have the idea of like the used car salesman who's selling you something. And to me, that's just nonsense. Remember, in this world, if you can sell things, you will always be very financially successful. That's a skill you can take to the bank.
0: Yeah, and and especially in early stages of the business, you, you don't just hire a salesperson to do the sales job for you because... There are things that need to be figured out. There are things that need to be tuned, fine-tuned, and all that stuff. So as entrepreneur, you are the one who has to do the selling. You don't just go and hire a marketing guy and a sales guy to do all of that for you because then you probably will not be able to build the kind of business that you envisioned anyways or may not even have a business at the end of it all.
1: I agree. I dare you to find someone in startup mode that you can find that will sell your proxy solutions as well as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's just the cop out, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that is a cop out because you are—you don't want to take the rejection yourself. You want someone else to take the rejection for you. Not going to work. Um, another another idea I want to touch on, Barry, was the idea that we got so okay. Maybe someone agrees that okay, I need to sell. I need to sell. I will start selling. But then they move to selling in a way where they're selling features rather than benefits and that again is a killer that's that's unfortunately the way we think we should be selling but that is that does not help anyone
1: well it goes back to the idea that we think just because we create this wonderful product or solution people are going to come you know from that movie field of dreams if i build it people will come and that's just nonsense again you have to know why people actually buy they buy because they're trying to solve some kind of pain We have to talk about how we're going to solve their pain. So, for example, why can American universities charge as much money as they want? There seems to be no upper limit on what they can charge. It's because their parents of the students are in so much pain. I, as a parent, would spend any amount of money that I had or could get in order to send my son or daughter to college so they could have a better life. That's the pain that you are solving, and being able to get loans from government or private loans. That's access to the capital. That's why there's no uh, there's no amount that the universities can't charge and still have students.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and somehow, yeah. So we're not selling to the pain. We're not selling, or the the mistake we make a lot of times is we're not selling to the pain. We're just uh, selling to the features. Rather than selling to how it will help the customer get where they want to go, right. It's
1: kind of like when you go to, when you go to the emergency room, right? You're not asking how much it's going to cost, right? So, right? Yeah. You just want to get out of pain. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really what it's all about. You know, you're you're sitting in jail, right? You don't say to the lawyer, "Well, how much is it going to cost to get me out?" You just want to get out.
0: Yeah, and when you're sitting in jail or when you're sitting in an emergency room, you're not wondering. Uh, about the features of the X-ray machine or features <laughs> exactly. of the MRI machine, <laughs> exactly. You you just want the damn X-ray. You just want the damn exactly. uh, the fee- the benefit of the X-ray, which is to figure out where the where did you break the bone or something like that. So so yeah, benefits and in order to get to the benefits, like I think uh, uh, it's not an easy job sometimes because we 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 get. So enamored by our own creation that we only think features, Um, but we need to ask those whys, the the questions behind the questions, in order to get to those benefits.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I I think you got to. Again, you have to go further than just falling in love with your product. And again, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, they, um, you know, they don't realize that just because you have a passion for something doesn't mean that product is going to sell.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Just because we have a passion for the product doesn't necessarily make the product a great one in the mind of the customer. But instead, exactly. if we had a passion for the customer, things might be a little different.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Because we might be able to figure out how to solve their pain.
1: I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, again, you have to have a passion for your customers. You really have to be able to love the problems that you're solving for your customers. Now, a lot of folks know to me and say, well, you don't understand. My business is difficult. <laughs> Our cust- my customers are hard. In fact, my wife says to me, why are all your customers crazy? And I said, well, <laughs> if they weren't crazy, they wouldn't need me to help get them unstuck and to solve their problems. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if they weren't crazy, you wouldn't be in business. So, exactly. Hey. Uh, and one of the th- one of the things you talk about uh, in this in this idea is that we have to build trust with our customers. We have to build long term or you know trusted relationships with these customers, and we can't just build trust in an instant. Right? It takes time.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I think you have to be in it for the long term. I think too much since, again, since we live in a 24-7, we want everything immediately. We just don't realize that, that we have to have patience, that it does take time to build relationships. And once those relationships are built, there are some barriers to entry. But once you have that relationship with a customer, there's huge barriers to exit. Now, for me to do business with another service provider besides my lawyer, or my accountant, or my dentist, or my, uh, my uh, doctor, if I feel I have a good relationship with them, right, it's going to really take a lot for me to say, listen, I want to go do business with somebody else. Because that relationship has been built up over many months and many years. That's really solid. That's a huge barrier to exit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having that relationship built over time, just ensures stickiness of your business over the long haul. It's uh... It's it's a great competitive advantage at that point. Um, for sure. Yeah. All right. So another great idea I want to talk about is that, you know, we shouldn't be trying to sell cheaper. first, Especially when you're in early stages of business, you think you can do the, you can sell a cheaper version of the product or you, not cheaper version of the product, but a cheaper service or a cheaper product to compete with a bigger established businesses or whoever they might be. But that, is a recipe for failure in the long term.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, competing based on price is really a race to the bottom, right? Small business owners can't compete based on price. And listen, if you're Walmart or McDonald's or Best Buy or something like this where you're selling a commodity, maybe that's what you really have to do. Small business owners, entrepreneurs need to compete based on value. You really want to make sure that you offer as much as possible for... Uh, for a great price, right? Because you can't be in business if there's no gross margin, if you can't make any money on selling what you are. So you have to find out where the value is. And where the value is, again, goes back to the idea of where people have the pain. People pay more money for perceived solving of that pain. So, for example, why do we spend more money on Apple products, right? What's the pain that really solving? Well, right now I'm doing this interview on AirPods, right? It's the new wireless earbuds from Apple, right? Earbuds usually cost $20, $30. Why do I pay $159 and pay six weeks, right, for the AirPods? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to see myself as being on the leading edge of technology. That's the pain that it's really solving for me. So I'll spend more money for the Apple product. That's what we have to do is take a look at how can we sell towards value, not price. That is a losing strategy.
0: Hmm. So uh, so let's, let's delve into this, because why, why is there a fascination, in, especially in early stage, to try and be the cheap guy? Probably because we feel we'll be able to make the sale, but somehow that doesn't work.
1: I think mostly that people want some kind of validation no matter what. Validation is when customers try and use your product, and they want customers no matter what, no matter what price. And the problem is that you don't have much of a business in the long term if you can't make a profit from selling your products to customers. So people just want customers; they don't want necessarily want profitable customers. Unfortunately.
0: Mm. So, so we want customers, and through lower pricing, we probably could get customers more customers than we think we we would get with higher pricing, but. We cannot repeat this cycle often enough to be to be successful and profitable, and to to be able to stay in business. Unfortunately, if we continue down this path of low pricing,
1: I think especially as a as a small business owner, you cannot be successful selling commodities. Commodities people buy based on price, right? Once whatever you offer is viewed as a commodity that can be get anywhere, right? Then you're really difficult to have a small business
0: so as as the early stage entrepreneur, you might be thinking, or the listener might be thinking, well, easy for you to say, but very easy for you to say, manny, well, right now I'm in such an early phase that I feel like the product I'm offering is a commodity, and maybe at some point we will you know the customer or we will be able to raise our prices or at some point we will be able to hire offer higher value is that is that Is that a realistic way to go about it?"
1: I would say no. I mean, it is okay to discount your prices early on if you need to get those first, you know, five or ten or a hundred customers, so you can get people using the product or service and see what they think of it and try to get some success stories and get some buzz going. But long term, you can never. I mean, short term even you can never start out saying I'm going to go out and sell a commodity because again, commodities—the only way to compete is by offering a lower price.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I hope this this gets home to our listeners out there. Let's talk about another important idea, which is that the idea that the only alternative or the way a lot of the times we think is that the only alternative to success is failure. It's like we live in a digital world. It's either one or zero. It's either win or loss, success or failure. But it's not as black and white as that, right?
1: No, I mean, I think that in business, success and failure go hand in hand. I think one of the, we have two problems in, in, with failure. I, I think one is that uh, when people fail, they have a hard time of getting unstuck and moving on. They think that, well, I can't move from this place until I figure out why failure came to us, what really happened. And I think it's nonsense because a lot of times, you know, you can't really learn from failure or there's nothing to learn now. So I really feel that when you fail, you should have a pity party, you should cheer the darkness. But somewhere along the line, you have to let it go so you get another chance of success. Uh, and the second point is that sometimes people have such high regard for failure. I think that's also just nonsense. I mean, you know, people love folks that have failed and then succeeded. <laughs> But if you've only failed, right, people don't place very high value on that if you never come back and succeed. Yeah. So failure without success doesn't really mean anything. They really have to
0: go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. We have to constantly iterate and be able to learn from it and grow from it rather than uh, – it's 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 almost like a data point if we let it be the data point that it is rather than uh, make it a complete um, end point of the journey.
1: Yeah, I think if we can learn from it, I think the most important thing is learn what you can now, then let it go and move mm-hmm. on. I think a lot of people get stuck in the failure and they say, okay, this happened. What can I learn? Because remember, the the the, the path of success is really a lot of ups and downs, in and outs, and you have to make very. You know small patient decisions it takes you a little you know you make a decision it puts you in a uh, in a certain direction you see where you end up you make another decision to get the direction where you want to go. you have to see that these it's really stepping stones that's going to include both success and failure
0: mm-hmm. um so barry we've been uh, we've been talking about a lot of great ideas here, and we can carry on because you have around twenty five uh, of such great ideas on how to get unstuck but I don't want to keep on going on in all of these ideas. I want to focus our discussion uh, down a little bit here and ask you in your work over the last... uh, How long have you had this business now, by the way?
1: Well, I mean, I sold my last business in 1999, so it's been 18 years now that I've been speaking and writing and working with uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners.
0: So in the 18 years that you've been working with entrepreneurs and business owners, what are the most common prescriptions you give them? What are the most common actions you give them? And I, I'm sure they are different for each business. But let's kind of take an average. Let's take a take a bigger picture view of it and say these are the things that I consistently see I have to tell them to do. What are those action items?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest problems is when they their approach to really marketing. I mean I, I call it they get stuck in what I say is the double helix trap. I mean a lot of times there are a lot of small business owners that are really busy, and then they're really slow, and they're really busy, then they're really slow, and they only do marketing when things are slow to try to generate some more uh, sales. But as soon as they actually generate some more sales as a result of their marketing, what do they do? They actually stop doing the marketing. So they never actually move their business forward, so they get stuck uh, in what I call a double helix trap. It's very important in your business have a process for marketing that is not a sometime thing, but really an everyday thing where you're always going out there. Because I really believe that we actually can't sell anything to anybody. We have to be there when people are ready to buy. And that's what marketing is all about. If you have ever heard that expression, when I'm a hammer, everything's a nail? You never know when a customer is going to have the pain that you solve, but you want to make sure. That when they do have that pain or they hear someone having that pain, you're one of the handful of solution providers they think about when they approach that. And if you don't do marketing every single day, every single week, you're never going to be in most of their mind.
0: Mm. So we need to create marketing systems rather than do one-off, one-shot marketing and then go into the famine or feast mode. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's talk about a couple more ideas like that or a couple more things that you prescribe to your clients very often.
1: Yeah, I think one of the other problems is that a lot of small business owners don't understand or can't read their financial statements. And I actually uh, I actually got this firsthand because when I sold my last business in 1999, I actually had an MBA from Northwestern University uh, and I made mistakes in my financial statement, my balance sheets, to actually... Uh, Cost me a million dollars off the sale price of my business. So, one of my missions over the last 18 years really has been to teach people how to, the value of. Being able to understand their financial statements, looking at profit and loss, balance sheet and capital statements every single month. Now, again, this is another area where people were never taught it, right? They, they don't understand how to do accounting and finance. They don't know what it means to their business. Their accountant, I believe, many accountants keep it complicated on purpose. That gets to be their competitive advantage, right? They only think about it during tax time. But if people would really get comfortable with the metrics that are really important in running your business from a financial standpoint and look at their profit and loss statement and balance sheet every single month, they really can improve and grow uh, their company like they've never seen it before.
0: Yeah, so key, so key. I've seen this firsthand with uh, some of my friends. And one thing that uh, happens quite often is that they're stuck trying to grow their sales because they think growing their sales is the be-all and end-all of the game. But just growing the sales doesn't really get to anything unless you know exactly right. where those numbers are going to Listen, your bottom there's a, line
1: there's an old expression that says sales is vanity and cash flow is sanity right yeah you know sales flow, sales doesn't really mean anything the question is how much money do you actually make at the end of the year and how many cash you really get to keep and that's another thing people really don't understand what cash flow is because every business goes out of business for the exact same reason they run out of cash flow and remember, sales and accounts receivable and things like that aren't cash flow. Um, I do this test when I, when I teach this module in front of people about how to read a cash flow statement and what, can, what adds to cash flow and what subtracts from cash flow. And I would tell you that 95% of people fail those tests. They don't understand that when you increase your inventory, you know, that's a use of cash flow. Or when your accounts receivable goes up, that's a use of cash flow. They just don't understand those concepts. They're hard to understand, but we as entrepreneurs need to.
0: That's great. Cool. Barry, this has been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of joy, um, a lot of great learning for our listeners and for myself as well. So tell us, how can we find more about you? How can you How can you find more about what you're doing next and all your books and all the good stuff?
1: Sure. Well, you go to my website. It's www.barrymoltz.com, B-A-R-R-Y-M-O-L-T-Z.com, uh, which lists the five books that I currently have out. And now I'm uh, working on a new book, which I'll publicly state for the first time, uh, since we talked about it previously, the new book is called uh, uh, Small Business Hacks: awesome. Your 100 Shortcuts to Success. It's called Small Business Hacks: Your 100 Shortcuts to Success, and it talks about 100 actual things in five steps or less that you, as a small business owner, can take actually improve your business. And that will be coming out the summer of 2017.
0: Awesome. You heard it first here, guys. You did. Small business hacks, 100 hacks. Wow. And they're all five steps each. So that's, that makes it very actionable. Perfect. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome, Barry. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will be watching out for the book when it comes out in, uh, in the summer of this year. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So as more and more people find out about what I do, the question I invariably get asked is, Manny, you've read over a thousand books now. What is the most important success lesson you've learned from all these books? What is it that separates the winners, the successful from everyone else? So I decided to create a free video course to show you exactly what that number one ingredient of success is and how anyone can develop it. You can get it for free at 2000books.com slash success. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, do something great with your life. Don't waste it.